0: Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein.
1: Welcome to New Reflections. Well, you know, every week... We do shows on a variety of subjects, and a lot of it relates to women. You know, We've done shows on breast implants and breast lifts and all kinds of breast procedures and lots of things that are geared towards women, makeup shows. And, and with Father's Day being not too long ago, I started thinking, you know, we really should do a show for men. So this week's show is called Being the Better Man. Enhancement procedures for men. And we're going to talk about all types of enhancements for men, including, of course, plastic surgery. We'll talk about lots of plastic surgery procedures that can help improve men's appearance. But, you know, if we're talking about men and enhancing men, well, you know, you know where I'm going. We're going to be talking about penile or male enhancement. And we've got a guest that's going to talk about that. And we have something this week that's really interesting. There have been over the years lots of medical treatments that suddenly become used for cosmetic purposes. Botox is the best example. That was used for twitchy eyelids and muscle spasm, and then now everybody is using it to make themselves look fresher. Well, one of the guests on the show today is going to talk about making you taller. That's right, using techniques to make your bones longer, the bones in your legs longer, and make you stand taller. So if you always wanted to have a few more inches of height, we've got a way for you to do that, and we're going to talk about that. This week, we're joined by three great guests. Uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. Don Collins, who's a board-certified plastic surgeon, an excellent surgeon living and practicing in Houston, Texas. Dr. James Elist, who is a board-certified urologist, who will talk to us about male enhancement techniques. And Dr. Dror Paley. Dr. Paley is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon who practices in Palm Beach, and he'll talk to us about his limb lengthening techniques. Now, let's talk about male procedures. When we talk about plastic surgery, in 2011, there were 1.2 million procedures done on men. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it's only about one-tenth of the total numbers of procedures done in 2011. So, while more and more men are thinking about doing these things and having them done, it's still a small portion of all the procedures done. having said that, 200,000 surgical procedures were done on men in 2011, and this is all according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeon Statistics. Uh, One million procedures that were done were non-surgical on men, and 200,000 surgical procedures. Now, that represents about a 6% increase, when we're talking about the 1 million, a uh, 6% increase overall from last year, that is, uh, in total procedures of the non-surgical, it was about an 8% increase from last year, now, the, way, the areas where more men are seeking procedures, uh, probably the biggest gain has been in skin procedures, in skin resurfacing and Botox injections. That's up two to three times what they were over the last 10 years. That certainly is an increasingly popular thing with men. But let's get right down to it. I want to introduce my first guest Dr. Don Collins. Don Collins is a board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in Houston, Texas. Dr. Collins, welcome to New Reflections.
2: Thank you, Dr. Rubenstein. It's great to be here.
1: Well, I'm so happy to have you here. You know, you have a long practice in Houston. You've got a lot of experience, and certainly you've taken care of a lot of men. Tell me, in your estimation, are you seeing more men come to the practice?
2: We are, uh, as you said, the national statistics. The most recent one, 2011, showed that about 10% of our patients are male. But I think in, in my practice, it's maybe maybe even higher. Maybe it's even uh, approaching 15
1: to 20%. You know, it's funny you say that in Miami, and I'm not sure if it's because we're you're around South Beach and we've got you know nice weather. I mean, Houston's not that different from Miami in weather. We see a lot of men. I, I would say my practice is probably closer to 20% male. Uh, and I think it is increasing. What are the procedures that you're seeing men come for?
2: Nationally, I guess the, the number one procedure would be liposuction. And, of course, we're seeing a lot of that. But I'm also seeing some of the other procedures, more facial-related procedures, such as eyelid surgery and, and facelift surgery, because men want to... Uh, you know, look as as good as they feel and more men, I believe, are taking care of themselves and, and exercising and they just want their uh, facial appearance to reflect their good health.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, we're all living longer and we all want to look better and I think that's that's part of what is leading to more and more men coming in for surgery. And I, I don't know what your experience has been, but I'm seeing more and more executives, men that are either in high-level sales positions or management positions, that, that feel like they might be losing a step in the race with the younger people around them and just want to appear more fresh and more youthful in order to compete. And we see that with women, but I'm seeing more and more men with the same feeling.
2: I see the same in my practice, uh, especially in industries that are related to what people uh, normally associate with with youthful fields, such as you know information technology and um, software and and different you know website design. And they may feel like they're they're just as is capable, but they feel like they're losing out to people that have a, a more youthful appearance.
1: Yeah, and of course, there's just the plain old living longer and still wanting to look good. So. Uh, the number one, you mentioned, the number one thing that men seek is, is usually uh, liposuction. So in the top five are certainly liposuction and uh, facelifts, uh, eyelid surgery, rhinoplasty, nose surgery is up there, and things like hair transplants are also up there. So when a man comes to you, uh, let, let's start with the face. We'll work our way down. When a man comes to you for facial rejuvenation. What do you think are the typical things men are looking to improve?
2: I would say number one is usually the upper eyelids, and that seems like that brings the, the younger patient, they feel like that they're, uh, because of excess skin on their upper eyelids, it makes them look older or tireder or even even angry. And then probably number two would be excess skin and fatty tissues of the neck, and they feel like that gives uh, their age away because they have a you know, fullness of the neck or what sometimes people refer to as a turkey gobbler neck.
1: Yeah, we we see a lot of that. Now, let's start with the eyes, the first thing you mentioned. How's that surgery? We've talked about, we've done a whole show on blepharoplasty and eyelid surgery in the past, but let's talk about this a little bit. The process of having an eyelid lift, big deal, small deal, what is your patient experience?
2: I think it's a relatively uh, small deal. Uh, It's uh, usually an outpatient procedure. It can be, um, you know, either done at a at a surgery center or an office setting, or can be done in a, in a hospital setting. It's an outpatient procedure, so the patient comes in and has their surgery. It would normally take to do upper eyelid surgery about an hour, hour and a half, and um, then the patient goes home the same day. A lot of pain? Not much pain at all. Not much pain at all, and uh, you know, a little bit of bruising, but uh, very little discomfort after the surgery.
1: Well, I, I would agree with what you're saying. You know, the eyes are the earliest sign of aging in most people, and this is a, a fairly straightforward procedure. Now, I'm always, I'm always telling my patients, say on the show, no such thing as a as a minor procedure when it's done on you. Right. So, I definitely don't take lightly having any surgical procedure. But in the spectrum of procedures that we do, doing the upper lids is a fairly straightforward thing that that doesn't hurt much. It's a fast recovery. Stitches are usually out in less than a week. And it really makes a big improvement for the right patient in how they appear. It can really refresh your look. And a lot of folks come in saying that they sound, hearing people tell them that they look tired and, uh, you know, angry, things like that. And doing the eyelids can really brighten their expression and, and make them look a whole lot fresher.
2: I agree. It's interesting. We've had, besides just high-level executives, we've also had, you know, attorneys and judges and pilots for the same reason they just want to you know not to look tired and they want to look more refreshed and, and more energetic
1: yeah, and i think the overall sense in society that that what we do is okay You know, it's all right to go have a little nip and tuck as it were you know that that's not such a taboo thing anymore everyone is thinking about it and it's more accessible it, it's fairly affordable especially eyelid surgery is really not an expensive procedure right i agree now let's get down to the face and i agree most men, when they come in, they're talking about their neck. Even if they, they're coming for face, some people come in and say, oh, I know I need a facelift. But most of the time, men just, if they come in about that, it's about the neck, that turkey gobbler, the, the thing hanging down under their chin. and They just can't stand it. Now, there are more than one option. You don't have to do a facelift for everybody. You certainly can do a neck lift alone. And there are even options with neck lifts. For many years, you've been doing a procedure that is a real special one for the neck. Why tell us a little bit about the the TZ plasty that, that you've been doing.
2: I'd be happy to. Uh, we're both you and I are fortunate that when we train, we train with Dr. Thomas Biggs, and uh, one of the most famous plastic surgeons ever. And he developed this operation called the TZ plasty back in 1971. And so it's um, now you know we've had uh, 40 years of experience with it. It's an operation that just deals with the turkey gobbler neck. And it's not a facelift, but it directly addresses the excess skin and fatty tissues underneath the chin.
1: And so what's special about it? Why is it different from any other neck lift?
2: What's special about it is it addresses really all the different components that create excess tissue in that area. It takes away the excess skin. It addresses the excess fatty tissues. And it also tightens the muscles of the neck to make a smooth contour. I guess the real benefit of it is that all the incisions are confined just underneath the chin, so you don't have the normal incisions that are associated around the ears with a facelift.
1: Yeah, and you know, I remember Dr. Biggs explaining that he got the idea just based on what we all hear on occasion, which is a guy comes to the office and says, "Doc." I don't want to facelift. I'm not going to have all that stuff around my ears and, and that, but I would really like to get rid of this stuff under my neck. What can you do? And he started thinking about it, and that's where he designed this direct operation where everything's done right on the neck. Now, it does leave a scar pattern in the, under the chin area on a man, but because of the hair-bearing skin, you know, the beard that men can grow in that area, and I'm not saying you got to grow a beard to hide it, I'm simply saying that that skin tends to hide those scars reasonably well. When it comes to women, would you recommend a TZ plasty for women? I would not. I would not. And just for
2: the, those reasons, I think uh, in men with the, the thicker skin and the, the whiskers associated with the beard, it does tend to hide that incision better.
1: And, and so it's an option for folks that don't want the more traditional scar placement and, and what's perceived as sometimes as a, as a bigger operation. And it probably is a little bit of a bigger operation to do a neck lift with the traditional incisions, which would be around the ear and, you know, behind the ear. So the TZ plasty, I guess that, that's an option for some folks that, as Dr. Biggs used to say, Doc, I don't want to have a facelift. Um so let's work our way down. We've been talking about facial procedures. Now, we didn't talk about rhinoplasty. Uh, rhinoplasty is always in the top five for men. If, we're, if you're, you're looking at a man for rhinoplasty, is, what are the considerations that are different for a man when you're looking at them in the office than a woman?
2: There are several, uh, Dr. Rubenstein. One is uh, the thickness of uh, all of our skin is being, being male. It's uh, typically uh, much thicker. And uh, different subtle changes that might be very evident in a woman that you could make that would be, um, you know, positive and, and be, um, you know, improvements, you might not see on a, a man. Another thing is that you have to be careful not to make the nose too small to, to feminize the person's features.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. And definitely never want to overdo a nose. And, you know, more and more men are coming in for that. And you know, working our way down, let's talk about lipo, uh, liposuction. Liposuction is consistently a very popular topic. And certainly down here in Miami, we see lots of guys for liposuction, whether it's uh, just a, the average Joe that wants to trim down or even bodybuilders that have this little deposit in the lower tummy that, you know, they're 4 to 5% body fat but cannot get rid of this bothersome little bump. And we see all types down here, how do you approach liposuction for a man, uh, as compared to a woman? What's different about men?
2: I think very similar to rhinoplasty. I think men's skin is a little bit, um, you know, thicker and, um, so, uh, some, that can be an advantage or a disadvantage as far as their overall result. I agree with you. I usually see people that it's either, the, for men, the lower abdomen or what we call the love handles, the uh, area of fatty deposits just right over the over the hip bone in the back. And those are two frequent areas. Also, you know, moving back to the face, sometimes a younger man will come in and he'll just have some excess fat underneath the chin, and we'll be able to address that with liposuction also.
1: Yeah, that's a great, a great point to bring up. And I've been doing a procedure recently called an eye guide neck lift. Have you ever tried the eye guide technique?
2: I've heard of it, yes. I haven't done done much of it, but I've heard of it.
1: It's a nice little technique, and I've used it in in, a male patient, and it it really does a nice job of tightening things up because, as you know, sometimes when you do suctioning underneath the chin, you're getting the fat out, but if you have a, a little bit of loose tissue, whether it's the skin or the muscle underneath, it's just not tight as you'd like it, you still don't get a great contour, even if it's a little bit better. And what the eye guide technique does, without having to do a whole neck lift, you kind of make a, a crossing pattern of stitch material that creates a, a support underneath the um, the chin. It's sort of like a shoelace pattern. And so you're you're lacing up the neck and then tightening it up, and it, it lifts and pulls everything up, so it's firm underneath the the chin, without having to make any big incisions or or any type of neck lift cuts. And it, it's a nice technique. It's certainly a good option for a male patient who says, Doc, I don't want to have a neck lift, I don't want to have a facelift, but you know what can you do about this neck? Uh, you know without making the incisions for a TZ plasty for someone who doesn't have lots of excess skin, it's a nice option. Uh, so let's briefly talk about hair transplants. Uh, The techniques for hair transplants have come a really long way, and I know I I don't do much hair transplanting in my practice. I have a colleague that I refer to, and I know you have one of the best in the world in Houston uh, that that you refer to, I'm sure, but you're aware that there are new techniques in hair transplants where they're taking, not only placing the grafts one and two at a time, but now they're able to take them out one and two at a time.
2: Right. I've actually seen that performed, and I'm similar to in your situation. We have such an excellent person here, in um, in in Houston, Texas, that's a real authority on that. And uh, the device you're speaking of is is very interesting. Where actually suction is used to take out just one or two hair follicles at a time, so it doesn't require an actual um, you know uh, incision or or a scalpel. It just uses uses suction.
1: You know, just amazing. It it there, you can do a hair transplant procedure with no scars at all. It can be completely scarless. What a long way we've come from the big old flaps of scalp that we used to move around to make things look better.
2: Right, and the, the hair plugs that, that were so uh, so obvious to, to everyone.
1: Oh, yeah. I, you know, I tell people all the time, you probably know someone that has hair transplants and have no idea that they have them. I agree well, with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to start our discussion about a different kind of male enhancement, and we'll, we'll get right to that after this short break. Here on New Reflection.
0: Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein.
1: People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry.
3: My doctor is Adam Rubenstein.
0: Listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections.
1: Welcome back to the show. We're here on New Reflections with Dr. Don Collins, a board-certified plastic surgeon from Houston, Texas, and we've been talking about plastic surgery procedures for men. We didn't talk too much about non-surgical procedures, but you know, suffice to say, Botox is popular for everybody, and we're seeing lots and lots of men coming in for Botox. I've heard it referred to as Brotox, in fact, and that's probably the area of that and skin resurfacing are the two things that are, men are coming in uh, for more and more, and they've increased 200 to 300% over the last 10 years, a consistent growth of men seeking those procedures. Now, spe- speaking of growth and men, our next guest is going to tell us all about ways to enhance things that men might like to enhance. Uh, I've got Dr. James Ellis, who's a board-certified urologist practicing in Beverly Hills, and uh, Dr. Ellis is an expert in male enhancement procedures. Dr. Ellis, welcome to New Reflections. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Well, it's great to have you on and, and you know, to have someone that knows as much about this as you do. I, I have to admit, I don't know that much about male enhancement and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. I guess the first question that comes to mind is, what are we talking about when we're talking about male or penile enhancement? Are we talking about length, girth, both? Tell us, what do men look for?
4: Okay, male enhancement uh, generally is increasing the girt and length of the penis. The procedure always has been desired for men. Uh, I've been practicing for 30 years, and part of my practice always has been treatment for erectile dysfunction, impotency. And I've used uh, different kind of inflatable penile prostheses for treatment of erectile dysfunction. And always the question was, can you increase my girth and length? at the same time that you do put penile implant to treat my erectile dysfunction? And the answer was, unfortunately, no. Just all we can do. We can put one of the inflatable or semi-rigid penile prostheses inside the artery of the penis, which call it corpus cavernosum, and that will give you erectile dysfunction, when, uh, functioning of your erection when you desire. You can squeeze the pump. Penis goes up, you can have erection and satisfactory sexual activity, you deflate the pump and penis comes down. And unfortunately, one of the problems of penile prosthesis was to decrease the girth and length of the penis to half an inch, sometimes one inch. And that's because of the formation of scar tissue and shrinkage of the corpus cavernosum, which is the artery inside mm-hmm. the penis. So all those patients were complaining after six months a year, a few years later, come back and say, I have very good erection, but my penis is not as big as it was. is not as thick as it was. Back in 1992, a plastic surgeon decided to inject fat around the penis to increase the girth of the penis. At the same time, decided to release the suspensory ligament. Suspensory ligament is a small ligament, which attaches our penis to the pubic bone, the bone mm-hmm. that we have in the lower part of our abdomen, if you touch that one. So the penis is attached, and it holds the penis for erection. So when you get erection, your penis comes up, and the suspensory ligaments hold it, and when it goes down, the suspensory ligaments release that one. Mm-hmm. By the way, we should know that half of our penis, and in some cases, one-third of our penis is outside. The rest is inside the body, And when we get an erection, the part which is inside, it moves out. But still, we have something about 25% of our penis always is inside. And suspensory ligament, keep that one balanced with our body. So when we have erection, this is straight out.
1: So, uh, if I understand if I understand correctly, right. the the this all started from men that just couldn't have erections. They had some dysfunction and they couldn't get an erection. Right. And it, it started with putting in prostheses to allow the, those men to get erections, but then uh the problem of girth and length became even worse, and then you know the the plastic surgeon you're referencing doing fat grafting and releasing the suspensory ligament. Now, was that for men that had dysfunction, or are we now crossing the line to men that have normal function and just want to enhance things? For both of them. aha uh-huh. Okay.
4: Of them. They try you not know, to do it for the patients who had penile implant and inject it, and mainly at that point they find out you know men who were interested to have. Uh, their penis, the longer and thicker, come to the picture also. And these are the group of people, they have sometimes penile dysmorphia, which is they're not happy with the size of their penis, no matter whatever it is. Some of them have small penis syndrome, which is related to their hormone deficiency originally uh, before puberty. And some of them you know they had previous surgeries. For example, a patient had hypospadia, and it was, uh, it was repaired. Hypospadias mm-hmm. is a, a congenital situation that the urethra does not close on time. When the baby boy is born, his urethra is not closed, so his penis is retracted and penis is a small. And they have to go with multiple procedures. And these procedures, due to scar formation, keep their penis small. There's some group of patients that they have Cordy. Cordy is the narrowing and bowing of the penis. Penis is curved, those so penis is small. And when you re- repair that cordy, which is the tightening of the uh, ligament on the penis, uh, the penis becomes shorter. So there were a group of patients with pathology and with disease that they came in and they requested for penile enlargement. So. As well as a group of people, you know, with penile dysmorphia that they were not happy with the size and uh, most of them been insulted. My girlfriend, my wife, by their partners, due to the size of their penis, and uh, they desire to have uh, increase the girth and uh, length of uh, their penis. All
1: right, so, but now things have been liberalized, where I think probably a large, a larger percentage of men that seek this procedure have normal function and just want a little bit more length and girth to what they have. So, in your practice, and I know you do a, a lot of erectile dysfunction work, what portion of men, you know, what percentage of men come to you that are functioning normally and just want a little bit extra?
4: We have a group of patients from age 23 to 55, and uh, I do surgery uh, almost every day, and I have two surgeries for penile enlargement. So the number of people that they request uh, just to have increased the girth of and length of the penis, we have an uh, average of uh, 200, and between 200 and 250, just in the United States. And then I travel out of the United States. I go to Argentina, I go to Germany, and I go to Middle East you know, to do surgery over there also. And these and are so- the group of people, they have a normal function, everything is normal, there's no problem with that, okay? Just they're not happy with the size, or they have pathology. They have Cordy. They had surgery with Peyronie's disease, which is calcium deposit on their penis, and it was repaired, and now they have shorter penis.
1: Okay. These so are now the group you're, of you're saying that they are those, potent And with those numbers now, you're looking at maybe four to five patients a week, uh, every week of the year that are coming in. You're saying uh, four to five of your patients each week are purely for uh, for getting a little enhancement, or four just to five patients? just just enhancement. Okay. Okay, great. Now, let's talk about the process. Uh, it, let's say John Q. Citizen walks into the office and says, Hey, you know, Dr. Ellis, I, I've been disappointed. I'm okay, but I really want to have a little more. What am I looking at? W- what is the process to make myself longer and thicker? Okay.
4: Uh, we get the inquiry through the uh, Internet or patient call the office. We send them the questioner, the medical questioner that they have to answer, and there are some uh, a personal questioner, and also is a satisfactory uh, uh, questioner regarding their sex life and all these questions. And when they answer and they send it to the office, uh, I'll talk to them personally or one of my uh, staff uh, physician assistant or medical assistants, and they talk to the patient and they give them the information about the procedure that I perform. Okay. As I told you, uh, fat injection does not exist anymore, dermal graft. Does not exist anymore because all of them, they do absorb your plastic surgeon. You know better than anybody else. A large volume of fat or dermal graft does not exist after a few months. You know, it does absorb or contract. There were a group of patients, uh, physicians also, they used to use alloderm. Alloderm Mm -hmm. is a uh, tissue they get from cadaver. And although it was never been approved for uh, phenol enhancement, but there were a group of physicians uh, that they used alloderm and unfortunately alloderm has the same problem also. So it's right, so, so
1: what so
4: what are you doing? You know, let's let's say I, came, a, with you- a, I came with a patented FDA approved a subcutaneous penile implant. I came with the implant which is a silicon, it's very, very soft silicon. I made it very, very low drometery, something around seven which is very soft. It uh-huh. is the shape of the penis okay it comes 270 degrees one piece with different length i have large extra large and double x large each of them <laughs> come with different thickness uh, it's interesting
1: nobody wants a medium or small huh uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs> psychologically we never use it medium or small no. <laughs> something very interesting let me tell you, you know there is a, a urologist in your area uh, in miami in the uh, with the name of Dr Small and Is that right? Dr Small and Dr Carrion they are the original inventor of penile prosthesis and when I was resident, and I used to tell my patients, I'm going to put the small carry-on implant. They said, I don't want a small carry-on implant. I want
1: a big carry-on implant. I said, no, <laughs>
4: small is after Dr. Small. That's funny. So you have, so you have small. this
1: implant, and, and this is a, is it an implant that, that you can control? Is it change shape and size, or, or is I it static? I can
4: trim it, I can shape it, I can, uh, just, uh, it's exactly the same principle as a chin implant that you use. Or calf half okay. implant that you use as a plastic surgeon. I came up with exactly with the same principle. Okay, the only thing is the shape of the implant. I have a patent for the design uh, as well as the utility. So there are two different patents for the implant. So the shape is sitting on the penis is like exactly. Uh, 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 270 degrees. It starts from uh, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and goes all the way around. Is one piece in length, like horseshoe, like horseshoe sitting uh, behind the glands and
1: it goes all the way under the pubic uh, bone. All right, now, is this a one- operation procedure or is it more than one operation
4: one operation the incision is in the suprapubic area we shave the suprapubic area and uh, uh, um, make an incision about one one and a half uh, inches incision through the incision i deglove the penis bring it out i put the implant sitting on the anterior portion of the penis suture it around the glands Around the base of the tip of the penis, and then uh, uh, just slide it back inside the body. So instantly, patients get between one to one and a half inches uh, with the large. With the extra large, they get between one and a half to two in diameter. And with double X large, they get between two to two and a half, up to some of them after a while, when it forms a capsule, up to three inches in girth. Uh-huh. The length and, and, is uh-huh. stretching of the penis. When we stretch it, uh, the weight of the implant, although it's not significant, and we measure that one, and it does not have anything to do with the erection. All our patients, they have excellent erection, even better than uh, before. Uh, it, it stretches the penis. It stretches the corpus cavernosum gradually, and we'll see between uh, one and a half to two and a half It varies in different patients in the length. Also, it does increase the length.
1: So, I mean, to me, this is this is fascinating. I don't really have a lot of experience. In fact, I've operated on uh, on the penis before for reconstructive purposes. Dr. Collins, have you done much genital surgery in men?
2: You know, very little. Uh, I guess we all do it in our training, Uh, as um, Dr. Ellis mentioned for you know hypospadias. But uh, I've done very little because we also have some excellent urologists here in the Houston area that uh, do um, you know do uh, male enhancement.
1: I just I've never even seen one of the, uh, the implants, uh, Dr. Ellis that you're describing, whether it's it's your particular implant or any, any others. Uh, so this is something that's static. This is not this, is, this just works with the natural function of the body. You don't have to manipulate it, you don't have to do anything with it. It just adds to the girth and ultimately, to the length of the penis, is that right? Exactly, correct, correct,
4: correct. It doesn't have anything for the function. It doesn't do anything for the function. All the patients, they report that if they are suffering from premature ejaculation after this procedure, their premature ejaculation gets better, but we don't know if it's psychological or is just the stretching of the skin. But uh, almost all of them, they tell us that after this procedure, uh, they have... Uh, uh, delay ejaculation. That, 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 that's, that's, what
1: that's interesting. You bring up psychological aspects, which brings me to an, another topic. You can't read a man's magazine or sports magazine or even the local newspaper without seeing a handful of ads for this pill or that cream for male enhancement. What are your thoughts on non-surgical options? Are any of them worthwhile?
4: None of them. We have done a lot of study you know, on stretching, on weight, on vacuum, uh, cream, peels, you know, uh, most of these pills that they're talking about, they have some uh, vasodilator. Sometimes they have a touch of Viagra or Cialis in them that has been detected. So they give them this medication, and they say, okay, you took the medication, now you see uh, they get erection, you see your penis is bigger. And actually, you know, nothing has changed in the size And the patient get erection. Vacuum does the same thing. Stretching is the same when you stretch the penis and you let it go, it goes back. Uh, the only thing that you need, you need internal expansion and stretcher, which is this uh, uh, implant. Uh, some of the group of uh, people, even they try to uh, inject prostaglandin or papaverine, uh, and patients get an erection, and they say, oh, you see now your penis is bigger. There are groups and there are clinics uh, all around the country that uh, they do practice uh, with injection, which is not safe, and unfortunately, in young patients, I have seen that they got the constant, painful erection, end up to have surgery. So, based on all the facts, based on all the factors that we have, based on the American Urology Association guidelines, that we find out, there is no procedure that, at the present time, does increase the girth and length of the penis, and this is the only. FDA approved patented and has been presented uh, at AUS sections western sections a different time and has been uh, uh, approved by uh, most of the urologists that they uh, watched the procedure and they saw and they heard
1: about this procedure so you know, it certainly sounds like a pretty straightforward procedure that that could help men looking for that that little bit of enhancement actually it sounds like it's more than a little bit in some cases what is it going to set one back what's the cost to having this done
4: the cost of this uh, procedure is between 10500 to 12500 uh, for uh, everything, <coughs> including pre-op, <coughs> excuse me, post-op, surgery, yeah. anesthesia, uh, operating room, everything is a flat rate uh, for this uh, uh, procedure. Uh, of course, uh, like uh, any other procedure, you know there are possible risks and complications and mainly still uh, we are dealing, you know, with the uh, infection like any other thing. You know, biofilm is one of the major, major issues <clears throat> that is still uh, we are dealing with put the patients on uh, antibiotic prior to surgery, after surgery, irrigation, during the surgery, uh, vancomycin. Uh, we do all the... Uh, uh, the criteria: everything that is uh, required to prevent infection that we used to do for
1: penile path, this is for penile so uh, dysfunction. We do this What is here. So what is the, what is the risk for infection? Out of a hundred cases, how many will end up having something? At the some form-
4: time, it is something between five to seven percent, which is very close to the same uh, uh, risk with uh, penile implant. So okay. it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, the, at this number, we try to decrease that one also. Originally. Uh, it was a little bit higher because uh, when I started this procedure back in uh, uh, 98, 99, the implant was two-piece. I designed the implant as two-piece, and I was suturing during the procedure to put it together on the top. Later on, we find out you know that might cause uh, more infection. We decreased the uh, the rate of infection just by making one procedure. It decreased the time of the surgery and it decreased the rate of infection. Uh, from uh, which was much higher to something about 5 to 7 percent. So
1: point. it sounds like somewhere around 94, 95 percent are successful without any infections, which is a very acceptable rate, very right. nice. Uh, you know, obviously, if you have dysfunction of some kind, then you might have some insurance coverage for certain procedures. Is there ever an instance where insurance would help a guy get this covered?
4: Uh, some of the patients that they had the hypospadias. And uh, procedures before, they were able to use their insurance uh, for the treatment. But uh, unfortunately, we have a group of patients also, maybe at the present time between 22 and 5% of our patients are the one who had previous surgeries such as fat injection, dermal graft, or alloderm, which was not satisfactory and they had contraction. And this group of people, unfortunately, they need two surgeries. The first surgery is the removal of alloderm or dermal graft. And that part, as a removal of foreign body, it's approved by the insurance. So some of the insurances cover that one just I to see. remove it. And then we have to go for reinsertion, which uh, that part is not covered.
1: Well, I have like to say, this is fascinating. Um, Thank you. We're going to take a commercial break, and when we come back, We're going to go on to another fascinating subject. We're going to be talking about ways to make you longer in a different place. Make you taller. And we'll be right back after this short break on New Reflections. Thank you.
0: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness.
3: Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein
1: people pick a doctor based on trust and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein he has the experience knowledge and artistic touch you're looking for call 305-792-7575 call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office that's 305-792-7575 Dr. Adam Rubenstein Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway where medicine meets artistry
3: my doctor is Adam Rubenstein
0: Listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections
1: welcome back to the show we're having a fascinating discussion today about procedures for men we started talking about cosmetic surgery procedures and non- non-surgical procedures, and we, that we've been talking with Dr. Don Collins, board-certified plastic surgeon. We just finished speaking with Dr. James Ellis, who's a board-certified urologist practicing in Beverly Hills, about male penile enhancement, and now we're talking about making things longer in a different way. I'd like to introduce our guest, Dr. Dror Paley, who's a board-certified orthopedic surgeon who practices in West Palm Beach here in sunny Florida, who's a pioneer In the aesthetic use of bone lengthening to make you taller. That's right. Making someone actually inches taller when they stand for purposes only in in allowing them to feel better about their height. And this is not a medical treatment, though it started as one. I want to welcome Dr. Paley to the show. Dr. Paley, thanks so much for calling in.
5: Thank you very much.
1: Now, Bone lengthening is something that plastic surgeons are pretty familiar with. And the fancy medical term is uh, d- distraction osteogenesis, which is a fancy way of saying putting stretch on the bone to make it grow. And obviously, this was used for medical purposes, and you have extensive experience with children and adults in bone lengthening. When did you first get the idea to do it for aesthetic reasons?
5: Well, I've been doing uh, limb lengthening. Uh, I guess for 25 years exactly, and uh, I think the first uh, stature lengthening I did was 25 years ago. That was for kids with dwarfism, uh, and then for aesthetic purposes, probably the first one I did was the year after in 1988, uh, was the first co- true cosmetic limb lengthening for someone who short, was of short stature but not with dwarfism.
1: So was it someone that knew of your treatments because of dwarfism or just someone that heard that you did bone lengthening and in your own mind concocted the idea that, well, gee, maybe I could just stretch my bones and get taller?
5: Yeah, you know, I, th- I think uh, ever since people have known that one can lengthen the long bones, uh, the idea of lengthening it for stature, meaning both legs being lengthened at the same time, uh, was an is a natural one to just about everyone. And, you know, in fact, I get asked that all the time. A lot of people don't realize that the majority of patients we treat are for leg length difference rather than for stature. Um, so it, it's not, you know, for the imagination, it's not a far stretch uh, for the patient it
1: is. Yeah, I, I suppose so. But, you know, there's got to be countless people out there that would love to be. And I have to say, you know, members of my family, are right up in there. I've had people close to me say, "I really like to be two or three inches taller." Is there anything that we can do for that? And you know, up until looking into producing this show and, and reading about your work, I so, said, "You know, I guess theoretically you could do it, but I don't know anyone that's doing it." This is pretty exciting stuff. Uh, what do most patients come looking for when they come to you for aesthetic reasons? Obviously, if you've got one leg significantly longer than the other, well, you've got a problem you need to correct so that you can walk normally. But if you have perfectly normal function, you know, someone that just walks into your office and sits down and says, Doc, I want to be taller. How much of that are you seeing and, and what is that process like?
5: So first of all, the majority of people who have sought me out in the past and even currently, uh, are not just coming for aesthetic reasons they because this is this compared to most plastics or cosmetic plastic surgery procedures this is a much uh, more involved process uh it is a much longer process it's a much more expensive process and it's a much riskier process than for example having a breast augmentation or a rhinoplasty um, I mean, here you're breaking somebody's bone, you're putting them in a wheelchair for a, a period of time, you're lengthening their muscles, you're potentially disabling them short-term, and if it's not done well, permanently. So, And as you said, you're starting off with someone who's of perfectly normal function. And so that's kind of a scary concept to orthopedic surgeons. We're not used to doing uh, things purely for cosmetic reasons. Uh, so I've been facing that controversy for 25 years. Um, the people who come to see me for the most part have body image issues. They, they perceive, they're not just your family member who says, yeah, it'd be nice to be two inches taller. The person who thinks it's nice to be two inches taller almost never comes to my office. The majority of people are people who are really disturbed and bothered by their height. And, uh, we've given this a name. Um, it's height dysphoria. So dysphoria is the opposite of euphoria. So in other words, you're unhappy about your height. Sure. And
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Well, we see that all the time. In fact, it sounds to me, and Dr. Collins, tell me what you think of this. You know, in the 30s and 40s, when plastic surgery as a specialty was really just dawning, and cosmetic surgery, even later, when, when cosmetic surgery came on, in maybe the 50s and in the 60s, when cosmetic procedures were beginning to become more popular and more known about, it was very taboo, and it was just for that reason—the reason you're talking about—taking people who were healthy and then making them sick in the hopes of making them better. That's that's how I describe cosmetic surgery. It sounds like you're going through that in your in your practice throughout your career uh, with your limb lengthening, and I, I suspect that as techniques get to the point, you know, you're, you're a master at limb lengthening at this point in your career, and if more and more people had the experience and the skill that you did, and I think as years go on, perhaps more and more people will will rise to that level, when you're able to offer this service to people with a reasonable degree of safety and consistent results, you'll, you'll be like the modern-day aesthetic procedures in cosmetic surgery and in plastic surgery, where it's more accepted and it's more sought after. And Dr. Collins, it right. sound like to you? Yes, yeah, so
5: I, I think I think the difference is going to be that to go through most plastic surgery procedures, I describe them as a three dimensional surgery where you do a surgery within a few hours, you create an anatomic transformation, and the patient has achieved what you have wanted to do. The problem is that once you add the element of time, limb lengthening takes months to occur, so it takes weeks and months. To, to go through. So if you want to add two or three inches to somebody's height, this doesn't occur in a three-hour operation. This occurs over the process of 10 to 12 weeks. And during that time, there's, it, there's so many potential risks and complications that the prospective surgeons who are going to do this don't actually have to g- be just proficient at the surgery. They have to be proficient at managing the limb lengthening process. And and right now, that's the limiting factor.
1: Right, and I I would agree with that. Certainly, it's a it's a different. The nature of the total treatment is different, but I think the essence is the same. You know, we the best plastic surgeons are not the ones necessarily that have the the highest level of skill out of anyone in the world. They have to have a very good level of skill, no doubt. But it's the ones that know how to handle all the uh, bumps in the road, that know how to guide the patient, that know how to get them through the process in the safest and the most comfortable way. I think it's, it's very similar in that regard. Let's talk about what the process is. If someone comes to you and says, Dr. Paley, I'm ready to, to do this, you've looked at them and said, all right, you're a reasonable candidate, you're in the right state of mind. What is the process like? How do they get started?
5: So um, the first step, obviously, is a consultation. Now, because of the Internet and everything, a lot of, for me, a lot of it is done uh, it's almost as a pre-consultation by Internet. People reach out to us. We send them uh, prepared um, fact sheets, I mean, frequently asked questions, and we've got all the answers and the process written down so they can read this because it, there's a lot to go through. We don't want people coming in unprepared. After they've done that, we recommend they come in for a consultation. At the consultation, I usually spend about an hour with these individuals, uh, both interviewing them, really understanding why they want to go through this, and then educating them on the process. Now, the process, if they decide to go through with it, uh, involves uh, preoperative visit, then the surgery is done the next day. Uh, the surgery involves putting in uh, what's called implantable limb lengthening rods. So the technology changed over the years. When I started, the only limb lengthening device was an external fixator, which is basically a brace that's bolted onto you, the bone is cut, You adjusted the external brace a millimeter a day, and that means pulling apart the bone a millimeter a day, and new bone and soft tissue grew. Now we can do it with devices that sit inside the hollow of the bone, inside the medullary canal or the marrow cavity, and these devices are bolted to the bone from the inside. The bone is also cut um, through a very small incision, and they gradually expand using an external remote control device. Now, there are several of these devices now on the market. Only two are FDA-approved at present, uh, but there will be several more. And then the patient comes in on a daily basis, has this remote control activated. Normally, we lengthen a millimeter a day for the bone that's being lengthened. So you have to do this first on one leg, then the other leg. And then after you've done the lengthening, they go to physical therapy. They do their therapy for the day. They've got to do muscle stretches. Muscle strengthening, a variety of exercises, and then the next day they do the same thing. Let's say we're lengthening six and a half centimeters, so that's about two and a half inches. So that, that would take a total of about 10 weeks. We don't start the process for five days in terms of the lengthening. They're in the hospital for three of those five days, and then we start the lengthening after that. So it takes about 10 weeks to get those um, 65 millimeters of length. Once we get that length, then we stop the process in terms of the lengthening. And the, the new bone, bone is a living substance. So when we broke that bone and it slowly pulled apart, new bone grew in that gap, new bone tissue. And that bone gradually gets more and more calcium in it and it turns into the hard bone that we're all familiar with. And then at the end, in addition to bone, by the way, it's not just bone that grew, but all of the soft tissues, the muscles, the nerves, uh, the blood vessels, the skin, everything grew with that. And so at the end of all this, you have a segment of limb. Let's say it's the thigh bone or the lower leg bone. Imagine a segment two and a half inches long of new bone, muscle, soft tissues, skin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: So now that, you, raise, process, you raise an interesting point. I want to ask a question. You talk about the thigh and the lower leg. When you're doing this purely for stature, are you doing both the thigh and the lower leg separately? Are you doing them together? Are you do only one? How do you know which bone you're going to lengthen?
5: So it depends on how much stature the individual wants and how many times they are willing to go through this. We only do a pair of bones at a time. So the two femurs or thigh bones or the two tibias or leg lower leg bones. And, um, of course, in the lower leg, there is a second bone down there. We never talk about it called the fibula. It comes along for the ride. So um, we lengthen one pair of bones at a time, and um, the limit of lengthening is somewhere between two and a half to three inches. Uh, at the uh, and if somebody wants more stature than that, then we'll do the other pair of bones. But there's usually six months in between lengthening.
1: And now, do you prefer if they only want, say, two inches of height more? Would you start with the thigh or the lower leg?
5: So I almost always start with the thighs, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, if that's the only, if that's the only bone, you know, they're only going to go through one lengthening. The the femurs, the thigh bones, heal faster. They have a lower complication rate. Um, it's a quicker surgery and recovery for the patient, and it's less visible. And why do I say less visible? Your your lower leg is exposed, and you see both ends of it. You see the foot end. You see the knee end. But the thigh bone is hidden in the mass of you know, the, the thigh tissue, which is much bigger. You never see the top of the thigh because it's somewhere at the waistline. Well, people with waistline can be higher or lower depending how they wear their belt and their clothes. Sure. And so we don't want people to notice any disproportion. So it's far less noticeable uh, if you do it in the thigh bone.
1: So the typical patient, are you doing on, on, on average just the one pair of bones?
5: Most patients, we just do one pair of bones. Um, probably 25% come back for the second pair. The, remember the body uh, image issue I mentioned. It's fascinating that most people, after they've had um, one lengthening, and it almost is independent of the amount of length you did. Whatever it was that bothered them, no longer bothers them anymore. And it, it's one of the. It's probably one of the few psychological conditions you can treat with surgery.
1: That's spectacular. A treat with surgery. Yeah. Well, we see similar things in, in cosmetic procedures as well. Uh, let's talk about cost. Someone thinking about having this done. How, what is it going to cost them? Just let's just say it's one pair of bones.
5: Um, it's going to cost somewhere between seventy-five and eighty thousand dollars typically.
1: And you're talking about the procedure to place it, and I assume you remove the the appliance. That, that,
5: that includes hospital costs, implant costs, anesthesia costs, surgeon's fees. Uh, physical therapy for uh, ten weeks, etc. So that's uh, that's even the BMEs, like the, the wheelchair and and crutches and all that. So that that is a total package global fee um, for the patient. And you know, keep in mind the implant itself. So right now we're using this um, you know new implant called the Precise. Um, that's spelled with two C's, um, and that device is $13,000 per implant. So two of them, which you need, because you're going to do bilateral, uh, is $26,000. So it's $26,000 is our net cost before anything else.
1: And so it seems like you'd have the first trip to the operating room to put the first appliance in, the first implant. Then you'd come back, when you place the second appliance, you'd be removing the first one. Are you doing one leg at a time, you say?
5: No, no, no. We're doing both legs simultaneously. So we're doing uh-huh. both femurs. That, that's, so we're doing both femurs or both tibias at gotcha. the same
1: time. Okay, and so what is it, just two trips to the operating room, one to put in, one to take out?
5: Correct. The, there- the removal cost is not even included in that price I mentioned to you. Huh,
4: Although the okay. removal
5: cost is not very much. The, but the, the, the insertion cost in the includes all the follow-up care, the x-rays. Patients are coming in on a daily basis to get the lengthening. They're having a <laughs> therapy session every day they are um, uh getting x-rays every 2 weeks uh so it it's 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 a fairly involved process to keep it safe
1: just spectacular we're coming up to the end of the show uh if somebody wants to get a hold of you and learn more about this how do they find you
5: so they can go to our website which is paleyinstitute.org uh and i'm also i'm i'm located at saint mary's hospital in west palm beach florida so Paley Institute or paleyinstitute.org, uh, or look up St. Mary's Medical Center, um, uh, in West Palm Beach and you, you be able to find us. And, you know, we've done 14,000 limb lengthening surgeries to date. Uh, obviously cosmetic is only a part of that, but, uh, you know, we're the most experienced limb lengthening center and I'm the most experienced limb lengthening surgeon worldwide at this point.
1: And Dr. Collins, if someone wants to get a hold of you in Houston?
2: The best way is through our website, which is, Dr. Dr. you know, Dr. for the Dr. Collins,
1: PlasticSurgery.com. Fantastic. I want to thank you both, and, of course, Dr. Ellis, who joined us earlier. You can reach him at www.surgeon4men.com. I want to thank you all for coming on the show. It's been a fascinating episode of surgery procedures and non-surgical procedures for men. Uh, next week, we're going to have a great show coming up. Join us when we talk. All about armless and thighless. It was going to be called making the extremities less extreme. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on New Reflections.
0: We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.